and welcome to the podcast of the Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout his life and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney, although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. We are continuing our major study of the book of Daniel, and today's lesson picks up where we ended last week. In this lesson, we learn that there are eight characteristics of an uncompromising life, and class teacher Doug Brady carefully uncovers these characteristics as we study this book. You will want to open your Bible to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, as we get into this study. The Believer's Bible Class is part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Our class meets every Sunday morning at 9.15 in the Lavorne Hall, which is located on the lower level of the new worship center on the campus of the First Baptist Church. We would be so happy to greet you if you are able to attend our class at some time in the future. Well, Doug has gone to the podium, is ready to begin today's lesson. Here now is our longtime teacher and my good friend, Doug Brady. My wife doesn't know what's coming, and so I apologize to her, but I have a perfect example that I'm going to share with you today. You see, for a long time in the English language, uh, there was an old saying, every man has his price. You ever heard that before? Well, originally it had to do with real estate, and it was about buying or selling real estate, and if you offer someone enough, they'll sell you their land. But as time went on, it got to be a much more general statement than that. And it didn't just refer to land, it referred to anything. And there came a time, I am told, that there was a very fancy dinner party held over in London. And it, people dressed like this. And the, the hostess had set everybody strategically around the table And several chairs down from her, there was a young starlet who's a very pretty actress, both on uh, film and on the stage. And then next to her was a wealthy industrialist who's a little bit older than her. And as the meal went on, you could tell if you were watching that she was flirting with him. And after a while, he leaned over and he whispered something to her. And what he whispered was, would you spend the night with me for 100,000 pounds sterling? That's about a quarter million dollars. She smiled very demurely and said, well, if I got that proposal from you, I would probably accept it. To which he then said, what about 100 pounds? (laughs) Well, she made a very indignant answer. Uh, Basically, what do you think I am? His response calmly was, well, we've already established that. We're now dickering about price. You see, she made the compromise. Once the compromise is made, it's been made. Well, you know, there was a movie after that that kind of followed up. Some of you may have heard of this movie. It's called An An Indecent Proposal. 
had Robert Redford and Demay Moore and Woody Harrelson. Yeah, that, that's, they offered a million dollars. Robert Redford did. And both she and her husband agreed to it. And, and then after agreeing, things went downhill fast. That all shows the results of compromise. Today, we're going to talk about an uncompromising life and how you can detect it because there are eight characteristics of an uncompromising life. Now, I've only shared one of them with you so far. Can anybody tell me what that first characteristic is? Live or act and speak with an unashamed boldness. That's the first characteristic. You live, you act, you speak with an unashamed boldness. Now, the key for Daniel and his friends was maintaining their, for maintaining their convictions in the midst of a world of conformed compromise is found when he made the decision in Daniel 8. We're going to read that in a second. Before we do, let's pray. Father, speak through me this morning. Fill me with your spirit. Empower what I say and control what I do. I pray, Father, that each of us here in the room today will strongly sense the presence of your Spirit. And he won't just talk to our minds, but he'll also place your principles in our hearts. I pray, Father, that you bind the distractions from the room and that you will help us to see what made these men great and that we would want to be like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. In Daniel 1.8, it reads this, But Daniel resolved in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now, last week, we learned that a man or a woman who covenants with God to live an uncompromising life will exhibit certain characteristics. And we see the first one in Daniel 1.8, the one we've talked about already. Number one, you speak and act with an unashamed boldness. What is it that Daniel said? He goes up to the commander of the officials. Anybody remember his name? Ashpenaz. Ashpenaz. He goes to Ashpenaz and he said, I can't eat your food or drink your wine because it will defile me, pollute me. Now, some people would say that would not be a very wise thing to do because Ashpenaz very well could make an example out of you. But you see, the consequences were not of concern to Daniel. The uncompromising lifestyle he'd adopted is what was concerned to him, and he spoke with unashamed boldness. He did it without equivocation, because the king's food would defile him. Daniel, you see, was a righteous man. In fact, did you know that God told Ezekiel who the three most righteous people were who had ever lived up to that point? And that was before you were born, Don, so, you know, uh, you would be excluded from that group because it didn't know about you. But of those three, you know who those three were? Noah, Daniel, and Job. Now you notice when Ezekiel put those three names together, you would think he would say, 
Noah, Job, and Daniel, you know, in chronological order. But he put Daniel in the middle so no one could say, well, he wanted three and Daniel was just an afterthought. No, right in between Noah and Job, that's where Daniel was. And there's a principle that you need to see about this concept of righteousness. I want you to see it. It's a key principle. Sin causes doubt, timidity, and fear. Purity resulting from obedience begats confidence. That's why Daniel could boldly approach Ashpenaz. We need to structure our lives so that we can gain that kind of confidence and exhibit that kind of boldness. You know, Elijah, who we've been comparing with Daniel, did the same thing when he walked into the throne room at the very start, and there was Ahab, and next to him was that snake Jezebel, and she always reminded me of a python probably coiled around him. She was there, and he said to them, you need to understand three things. I know you're worshiping Baal. Yahweh is the only God. I'm his man, and it's not going to rain again until I say. And then he turns around and walks out. Now, I imagine they laughed at the start, but after a while, they became very mad because they started a manhunt. They searched for three and a half years to find him. Couldn't find him. God took and hit him. But that was the only time he spoke with unashamed boldness. Now, some people think, well, you could maybe go a little bit over the line when you do that, could you not? Well, do you remember on Mount Carmel, the priests and priestesses of Baal, they're trying everything they can do to persuade Baal to light a fire under their sacrifice, and nothing is happening. And do you remember what Elijah said? Finally, he said, you know, your problem is you're not yelling loud enough. I think Baal's sitting in the toilet, and he can't hear you. Was that unashamed boldness? Maybe it was a little bit of mocking. But mocking Satan? Let me ask you this. Vera, do you have any problem mocking Satan? He's not your friend at all, is he? And you would wish that time would come very soon where he could visit the lake of fire, I think. I do too. I tend to agree with Vera on that. When you agree with Vera, you're always in good position. I want you to know that, I found. But... That's this concept of unashamed boldness. The next one I want you to see is this. You are confident of an unearthly protection. Daniel, as he approached Ashpenaz, was confident of an unearthly protection. God was going to protect him. In fact, it was brought up last week, but when you look in verse 9, how does it start? Now God... Was it something Daniel did? No. Now God. Sometimes you'll see in the Bible, it's instead of now God, it's but God. Whatever the case, those are two of the most wonderful words ever found in the scripture in their conjunction together. Now God. So what happened? Because he spoke with unashamed boldness, now God. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are of your own age? Then you will make me forfeit my head to the king. But now God granted Daniel. God did it. It wasn't Daniel's... uh, persuasive abilities that changed or caused Ashpenaz to respond the way he did. But we're going to see this over 
And over and over, when you live a, choose to live an uncompromising life, God protects. Nebuchadnezzar is going to see it over and over. There's a guy we're going to meet later named Darius the Mede. He's going to see it the next day, that early morning, when he went back to the lion's den to see what was left of Daniel. Uh, there's others who are going to see this same concept. Let me tell you, Elijah had unearthly perfection. But you think about this, when they're on Mount Carmel, and he said all those things to the priests and priestesses of Baal, there's about 950 of them there. If God hadn't let fire come down and light his sacrifice, that would have been Elijah's last day on earth. They would have killed him. Elijah knew that if I don't compromise, then I can rely on unearthly protection. You know, in Proverbs 16, 7, it says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So we've got three. I mean, we've got two, unashamed boldness, unearthly protection. But the third is, the third is this. You carry on with an unhindered persistence. Now, I want you to think about this a second. Some people say, Daniel failed. He went to Ashpenaz. And Ashpenaz said, no, I'm not going to let you eat what you want to eat. Not going to do it. Did he fail? No, he didn't fail. Why? Because the test wasn't over. You see, some people would say, well, you know what? I tried. I went to Ashpenaz. I spoke boldly. And he said, no. So what more can I do? I guess I'll have to eat the food. That's compromise. You see, someone who's living an uncompromising lifestyle or an uncompromising commitment to God they carry on with an unhindered persistence. What did Daniel gain from the conversation with Ashpenaz? Valuable intelligence. Well, wait, what intelligence did he, did he have or did he get? Let's look back at that, at that verse and, and, and see. It said he'd defile himself, and uh, so he sought permission. Now God granted Daniel favor and, and compassion, and the commander of said, I'm afraid, my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he uh, see your faces looking haggard as the use Oh, so now he goes to someone else. Ashpenaz is the head of everything. He was the commander of the officials. So I want you to see, starting in verse 11, but Daniel said to the overseer who the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths for eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. What did he learn? The whole thing was, you're going to look bad. You're going to make me look bad. I'm going to lose my head. Oh, well, let's just do a 10-day test. And then you see who looks better. If Daniel and his friends do not look better, what happens? He's probably going to die because he's not going to eat the food. So what he did, he refused to lose heart. He refused to quit. He kept going. He was not going to compromise. And so he made that God worked in this uh, official. Notice, Daniel didn't confront Ashpenaz. 
when he said no. He didn't sulk, rebel, or mouth out. He sought an alternative. And he went on and he demonstrated unhindered persistence. You will see this throughout Daniel's life. If you really are a prayer warrior, you ought to go through the book of Daniel and you ought to study Daniel's prayer life. The first time we really see it is in chapter 2. You see, what happened in chapter 2 was Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. God gave him a dream. And he called all his wise men. Daniel was not one of them who he called at the time. Called all his wise men. He said, I want to, I've had a dream. I need this interpretation. And they said, well, tell us your dream and we'll give you the interpretation. He said, oh, no. You guys have been lying to me for a long time. If you really are so sharp and you have this insight, you tell me the dream and the interpretation, you see? And they said, well, nobody can do that, king. Oh, that's what I thought. You don't have this extraordinary powers you're claiming you have. So the king said, hey, let's just kill all the wise men. Well, that included Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel got a little reprieve, and he went in, and he called his friends and said, we've got to pray. Because God needs to tell us the dream and its interpretation. And he starts praying. How long will Daniel pray to get that answer? Three weeks. No. He gets the answer, or they come in, drag him away, and execute him. I call it a prayer to the death. He's going to keep praying until he gets the answer. If we look in chapter 9, you find he starts praying at the time of the early sacrifice in the morning. And God doesn't answer. And he keeps praying, and God doesn't answer until finally he gets the answer in the end of the day. He spent the whole day praying. I imagine it'd be under five if I ask how many this last week or two has spent a whole day praying. Maybe it would be under two in this room. I don't know. But the fact is, that's the way he prayed with an unhindered persistence. In chapter 10, he doesn't pray for a day. This time, he prays for three weeks. What did I tell you? Yeah, you were just a little bit early. If you could have just held off. But you have a hard time doing that, holding off, I know. But in fact, in my mind, what happened is the last time in chapter 9, they let Satan get through. Satan's guy let the angel get through to give Daniel the answer, gave him this unbelievable prophecy. And Satan this time said, you don't let that guy get through again. And so they held him out for three weeks until finally could get through and give Daniel the answer to his prayer. But it's an unhindered persistence that I want you to see. You know, the same thing was evidenced in Paul's life. Was Paul, near the end of his life, was heading toward Jerusalem. The people kept telling him, don't go, don't go. Terrible things are going to happen to you. There was a prophet by the name of Agabus who took Paul's sash and he bound his hands. He was bound. He said, this is what they're going to do to you there. Paul said, well, if that's what they're going to do, fine. God's told me to go to Jerusalem and I'm going. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit. I'm not compromising. Yes. Uh, just to circle back to that, just an observation. You know, Daniel logically painted this guy into a corner. He, he didn't know what way, which way to go when he went with what Daniel suggested. I just want Well, now, wait a second. It wasn't Ashpenaz. Ashpenaz was the commander of the officials, the overseer. Well, my bottom line is I wonder what happened to him spiritually after observing. I think there's a bunch of people that 
could see something different in these four men. Could we refrain from using the term circle back? I will endeavor to do that. Is that uh, something that Malachites are normally concerned of? Because they got circled back a number of times. All right, well, let's go on then. Now, one other example of unhindered persistence I think you find in the Scripture is a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Did I try every way they could to stop him from building that wall? Over and over and over, obstacles put in his way. He would not quit. He continued on with an unhindered persistence. Now, we got three things here that we've been dealing with. An uh, unashamed boldness. We have a, uh, an unearthly protection, an unhindered persistence. But the fourth characteristic is you choose to adopt an uncommon standard. An uncommon standard. What did Daniel choose or ask to be fed? Now, it says vegetables. That's not the best translation of that word. Produce is the best. You said spinach? Fish. Oh, fish. No, fish would not be included. But produce, so that could be nuts, fruits, vegetables, grains, and water. Now, under the Jewish dietary laws, could he have eaten more than that? Well, absolutely he could have. But could he always be certain since he wasn't preparing it, that it was prepared properly. No. So he adopted an uncommon standard. You see, someone who has chosen uh, an uncompromising lifestyle looks at things differently. Uh, he could have eaten more. He could have drank more than just water. But his standard was above and beyond. You know, some of us like to get real close to the edge, so to speak, between right and wrong. The uncompromising lifestyle says, no, I'm going to stay way back from the edge. I'm going to stay out of the gray areas. Uh, it's worth it to me to have an uncommon standard because I'm not going to compromise under any circumstances. And you begin to see that his standard was above and beyond. And he was willing to make that kind of commitment to live on the highest of planes. Now, I have to tell you, growing up, there was a conflict in my life. Because my father adopted an uncommon standard, and he lived by that, religiously. I, on the other hand, would like to play right up as close to the line as I could. And I had to come to realize that sometimes it's hard to tell where the line is, and you tend to cross over, sometimes unwittingly, other times intentionally. And so if you stay way back... That is when you're safer from compromise. And so Daniel and his friends learned that those living an uncompromising life will not play on the edge of right or wrong, won't spend time in the gray areas, but elect to live by an uncommon standard. And that is our fourth of these eight characteristics. Now let's look at the next one after an uncommon standard. And that is you look on life your outlook on life is controlled by an unblemished faith. What do I mean by an unblemished faith? A faith that doesn't fail. Look at Daniel 1.14, starting as so. He listened to them in this matter, 
and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Now, let me stop right there saying, because wait, I don't want to be, appear fatter. The, the word really is better translated firmer, solid. That's the concept here. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and wine. They were to drink and gave them produce. What's going on here? You see, he had an unblemished faith. Well, let's, let's look at a couple more examples in his life, and then I want to look at that more specifically. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 14, that's when the dream situation arose. That's when everybody who's a wise man were going to be killed. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And he said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is this decree from the king so urgent? And then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in. Now notice this. He leaves Arioch and he goes into the throne room in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Is that unashamed boldness? Yes. He didn't say... Well, Ariok, will you go tell the king? No, he goes in there. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Now, faith is all about knowing. Ignorance doesn't produce faith. Not the kind of faith it talks about in the scripture. Knowledge produces faith. Now, did Daniel know the dream? then how could he know the interpretation at that point? He couldn't, but he knew the dream giver. And that's where the faith came from. So he said, I'll do it. What happens if God doesn't come through? You're right, he dies. But he was certain because of his choice for an uncompromising life of unearthly protection. Or the alternative is he gets to go home. More specifically, he gets to go to paradise side of Hades, or Sheol, as Daniel would call it. But I want you to look on. He, that's another example of, of this unblemished faith. You see, blemished faith is faith that's stained by sin. Daniel strove not to have sin in his life. Now, one of the things you say, that's hard. You know when it's easier? When you're really in a fight. If you're really in a fight with sin, with evil, it's easier to live more holy. When it's not so consequential, it's much easier to compromise. But Daniel's in a fight. He knows it. You, you look on in chapter 6, that's the, the chapter it talks about the lion's den. It says, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Well, what was the document? It says, anybody who prays to anyone else other than the king for 30 days gets thrown in the lion's den. He knew when the document was signed, he entered the house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God that he might uh, have been just as he had been doing previously. I want you to stop right there and I want you to think about this. Could Daniel continue praying and just close the windows? Could they have seen him then? Would that have been a compromise? Yes. Absolutely. Daniel instead was unashamedly bold. He had unhindered persistence. He was going to go on. He had unblemished faith. He knew. 
He prayed how many times a day? Three. Three times a day. He had an uncommon standard. And he was confident in unearthly protection. And so he kept going. He kept praying. Let me show you another example of this unblemished faith. Yes. I think he was giving thanks for the fact that at this point, I believe he knew that the 70 years was coming to an end. Yes. Remember, this, these are not chronological here with chapter 9 because he knew in chapter 9. And you might look at that because I have a, had a chart that I gave as far as times. But I think 6 is after that. It's certainly after 7 and 8. All right. Now, take Hananiah. Mishael and Azariah. You see, God separated Daniel from them so they would have to stand alone on the plain of Jura when the golden image was set up and they were told to bow and pray to it. And they didn't. They stood out like a sore thumb. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He called, but he, he was smart enough to know these guys are valuable. So he brings them up in front of him and he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to play the music. And if you don't bow and worship my golden image, I'm throwing you in that furnace and you'll be dead. He didn't say you'll be dead. He just assumed they knew they'd be dead if he threw them in the furnace. Look how they respond in verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship your golden image that you've set up. Now, is that unashamed boldness? Oh, yeah. He could be killed instantly. Number two, is that unhindered persistence? Yeah, they weren't going to stop. They didn't bow before. They're not going to change their minds and do it now. Number three, they had unblemished faith. They knew that they could trust God. And he was the one that they could rely on for the unearthly protection. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was furious. Did anybody, but did anybody die that day? Oh, yes, they did. The soldiers who threw him in because the king had such problems with anger management. But that's what's going on here. And you need to see that. Now, we got to remember something about faith here as a, as a part of this uncompromising lifestyle. Faith does not come from ignorance. Faith is based on what you know. That's why Jesus said so many times to his disciples, have you been this long with me and still don't know? You know, in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, it tells a story about a man who was in desperation. And he, uh, his son was possessed by a demon. Nobody could help him. And then he heard about Jesus. And he did everything he could to get that boy in front of Jesus. And he finally finds him. And he says, can you heal my son? And Jesus said to him, if you can. In other words, you're asking me, if I can? Do you not believe that I can? And he said, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. Now, have you ever seen or heard a more honest answer? Well, I have some faith here, but in the faith I don't have, give it to me because I want to believe. That's what we should be saying to him every day. Because, see, when you're struggling to believe, 
That's not the time to avoid the Lord or to be ashamed of the struggle. It's instead the time to seek his presence. Because the more intimately you know him, the stronger your faith will be. Can you imagine if any one of us had little trouble believing and all of a sudden Jesus appears right here in person and you can ask him, would you have any trouble then? It was kind of like the difference in Timothy before and Timothy, not Timothy, uh, Thomas before and Thomas after. After he saw him, he had no trouble believing at all. So getting close to God is how you increase your faith. Now, let's look at number six. You are not unprepared for testing to come your way. You are not unprepared. Did Daniel expect to be tested? In fact, notice what Daniel did. He was aggressive about it. He said, test us. Go ahead, test us. Now, I want you to think about something. If you don't eat meat, drink wine, or anything else other than produce and water for 10 days, would it really have that profound a physiological effect on you? I, I read up on that and studied, and I've talked to some physicians about it, and they say probably not. Now, I want you to notice something. There's, there's four alternatives here that, that could be. Number one... Just eating that made all the difference in the world. Or eating that maybe kept the second one. Eating that kind of kept you the same. But the other boys eating this spicy food, drinking the wine, and maybe they could have as much as they wanted. Maybe they dissipated a little bit. It wasn't that Daniel and his friends got better. It was all the other boys got worse. Or it could be that God intervened and he made them. Can God alter us physically? Sure. Of course he can. And which of those alternatives? I believe in God's intervention because God honors an uncompromising lifestyle. And when the test comes, if you refuse to compromise, he honors that. And so that's what happened here. And that's, they're not unprepared. Now, will that be the last test that Daniel and his friends face? Well, absolutely not. They're going to keep having test after test after test. When Daniel gets 90, he's going to be tested again. Yeah, Doug, also they knew from talking earlier that they needed, their spirits need to be lifted up. So they knew something already that they needed to be uplifted and looked that way also. Not be downtrodden at the end of that 10 days where he says, hey, I look better and your attitude's better than all the rest. Well, that's true. I think it wasn't as much attitude, though, as it was appearance. Because they want, they, he was saying, you know, I don't want either Ashpenaz or the king to see you looking. What's wrong with them? And so it was a test. But I think Mark's point was, it wasn't only a test for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It was a test for the overseer. Because now he knows. Listen to these guys. Yes. Um, you know, when you, when you change your diet and your alcohol consumption like that for that many days, it's not that big a deal. But when you do it for six months or a year, what happens to the mind and body is pretty obvious. And, um, and I think that God can do in such a short amount of time what takes. A long period of time normally. That would be accurate, I think. And the results were in the physiology was Daniel and his friends were clearly superior to all the rest. So I want you to see 
that those tests come. That number six was the uncompromiser is not unprepared for the testing. That will come, will come. You know, in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it, it, James tells us the same thing. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Another way of saying unhindered persistence. But your faith will be tested. If you haven't, most of us in this class have been living, you know, at least more than 40 years. And we know that there's tests and the tests don't stop. It's not like you pass one and okay, I don't have to take anymore. It doesn't work that way. Shortly after I came to really accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, you know, everyone told me about James 1, asked for patience and Lord have mercy. I had problem after problem after problem after, I mean, for two years. It was nothing but problem after problem. And I said, I ain't never doing that again. <laughs> and then, uh, well, you don't, fortunately for you, you don't have to do it again. My goodness, I ain't going to do it. <laughs> I may look dumb, but I ain't that dumb. <laughs> I could say some things here, but I think I, I, I want to move forward. And uh, let my friend Don proceed on like that, because I want you to look in verse 17, starting in verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature or wisdom. Now, does God really do that? Can he give someone knowledge and wisdom? Has he ever done that before? How about Solomon? Yeah, he does do that. Can he still do that? Well, of course he can. And he gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. David, Daniel, I mean, even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And then at the end of the days, what the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them. And out of them, out of them all... Not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than the magician and conjurers who were in his realm. Are these not star recruits? Why? Because they chose to live an uncompromising lifestyle. And the seventh part of this, the seventh attribute I want you to see is you become the recipient of unlimited blessing. Unlimited blessing. God does that for the man or woman who chooses to live an uncompromising life. He did the same thing in the life of Job. He did the same thing in the life of Joseph. Look at, look at how Joseph was promoted from the penitentiary to the palace. And David David was a criminal on the run, being chased constantly to becoming the king who produced the throne that one day the Messiah would sit in. The world was forced to see in each of these men's lives that they were receiving these blessings not from themselves or their attributes, but from God. God was providing it. Do you remember what Pharaoh said when Daniel told him what he should do, he should find a man to put in charge. And what did Pharaoh say? Well, who other than this man? Because it's obvious in him is the Spirit of God. 
He saw it. Was the Pharaoh a believer? No. No, I'm talking about Pharaoh with Joseph. I did. I, I appreciate you. Fix me, you just missed the wrong one that I was intended. But the fact is that Joseph, they could see it in his life. Potiphar could see it. The head of the jail could see it. And Pharaoh could see it. They could also see it in David's life. A man after God's own heart. He was special. And he was blessed that way. Now, there's one other characteristic I want you to see. You see, if you choose it and you live an uncompromising life, you will have an immeasurable influence. An immeasurable influence. In Daniel... 121, it says, And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. That means he had 70 years or more of service, starting with Nebuchadnezzar all the way to the end of the Babylonian Empire and to the start of the Persian Empire, first through Darius and then with Cyrus. Did he have an effect on Cyrus? Well, do you know Cyrus was the king of Persia who allowed the people to go back and to restore the temple. Not only that, he said, I will help you build the temple. Who do you think was influencing him? The people were greatly influenced by Daniel's writings, especially during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes that we'll study when we get into chapters 10, 11, and 12, and even in 8. And the book that he wrote, does it influence us even today? Immeasurable... Who do you think set up the library that the Magi studied in before they saw the star and came to Bethlehem? Daniel. Immeasurable influence. But that's what comes from an uncompromising life. Now, is an uncompromising life a challenge? Absolutely. Is it difficult? For certain. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Now, if you decide that you are going to adopt an uncompromising life, you think Satan will say, well, you know, Don's made this decision. I'm just going to leave him alone. No. no. In fact, he will probably show up at Don's doorstep with a, not a in-your-face temptation, but in a much more subtle temptation. Something like Don on this situation here, you just need to be practical. Just, just practical. He was so cleverly suggest that when you're doing the work of God, you know what's most important? Results. You want to get results. Doesn't God want results? Isn't that the reason he's having you do that is what he says? We need to come to understand that God is much more concerned with the how and the why than he is with the what and how much. No, wait, don't be laughing at Satan up there. I, I mean, Satan's not funny. He's, he's the, that was the movie where I could find a picture of Satan, and that's what I put up there. Yes. When Satan attacks, it's the time that we might have his future. Yes, that's the time. And what's going to happen to him, and Vera loves to do that. But I want you to look for a second, Don, in Colossians 2.8. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, 
rather than according to Christ. You see, it's never wise to attempt to accomplish God's goals by man's means. That's compromise. It is clearly a compromise. Julie, what does the emergent church do? They attempt to accomplish God's goals by what? Man's ways. Even to the point of saying, we're going to bring in the kingdom. They're not going to bring in the kingdom. They have no power to bring in the kingdom. The only one who can bring in the kingdom is Jesus Christ. When he comes on his white horse and he comes down and defeats everybody and sets up his kingdom. And we'll be behind him, not in front of him working to bring it in. So we need to see that. But it's never wise to do that. You know, it's an age-old temptation that Satan will bring to the surface just to be at a little slight variance, but he ends up getting you to compromise on God's mandates. Now, before we finish, I think there's something we ought to talk about. Do you want to live an uncompromising lifestyle or not? Do you want to adopt that? Well, if you do, you're going to have to let God take it, that is your life, and use it. But I'm going to make a suggestion to you. What would happen if this week you would start praying each morning and each evening. Now, I know it says in the notes each morning, but I'm going to suggest each morning and each evening that God would install these eight characteristics in your life. Would that have an effect? As the time you're praying for this, maybe beside yourself you should include your spouse or your child or your best friend, the closest person to you, and pray for them the same way. Now, you must come to understand that we live in a culture of worldliness and pleasure and that we have made decisions in the past time in our life to be conformed to some degree by that culture instead of transformed by the Lord. And he's going to have to transform us if we're going to live an uncompromising life. But let me give you this warning before we finish. If you continue to live a life of compromise, if you continue to do that, it will result in an existence characterized by powerlessness and spiritual barrenness. Now, I'm not talking about physical. I'm not necessarily talking about emotional or mental. I'm talking about spiritual. A life powerlessness and a life of spiritual barrenness, dryness. Is that the way you want your life, your spiritual life to be described? Is that the effect you want your spiritual life to have? You see, if you allow that, let me give you an example of at least three things, three areas of your life are going to fail. There's going to be no revelations from God to you when you study His Word. There's going to be no revelations to you from God when you spend time in the prayer chamber. If you have allowed barrenness, and powerlessness to characterize your spiritual life. And if you do meditate, there'll be no revelations to God from you. You are choosing when you compromise to cut yourself off from God, from the rich spiritual nature that He wants you to have. Gary? You're talking about revelation or you're talking about illumination? I'm talking about illumination from God's revelation. I'm not saying He's going to give you more Scripture. No, 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 it's over. It's closed. The canon is finished. But he illuminates things to us and he tells us things. He does give us revelation that's for us. I can remember a time in my life when he told me, 
I want you to start a Bible study with your two sons. Then I started praying more, and I said, you know, God, and we were studying Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me, and I'll answer you and tell you greater. I don't, I pray to you all the time, Lord, and I don't, it doesn't seem like you tell me great and mighty things. And he said, oh, yeah? Do you remember when I told you to start the Bible study with your son? Because, and you said, yeah, that's my ministry, so I will do it. I was obedient. And he said, that wasn't just about obedience. That was predictive. Now my sons are going to be missionaries. He does illuminate, but also reveal things to us that we wouldn't have known otherwise. You know, when you mentioned uh, Revelation over there too, I was thinking about Revelation. I was thinking of a, almost a word association. Compromise is lukewarmness. You know, in Revelation, what God thinks of a lukewarm church, how much does he think of a lukewarm Christian? That's what he does in to the church of Laodicea. He said that. And it makes him sick to his stomach. And he doesn't want it. And you're absolutely right. That's what compromise does. And it results in powerlessness, spiritual barrenness, and dryness. Um, I wanted to ask, when, was he just talking about boldness when he said um, the, uh, Noah, Daniel, and Job? Because Enoch, I mean, he took Enoch straight to heaven. Well, when God chose to pick the three, those are the three he picked. So I'm not going to dispute that. Yes, Donna? Thank you. Pastors to preach sin. Some of them are just Well, you know, the emerging church has brought a movement. We don't need to talk about sin and we don't need to talk about hell. Those are things that people won't want to be in the church if we... Yep, that, that's what's coming. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the time that we could spend here today and understand these eight characteristics. I pray that you will help me be committed to make them part of my life. I pray that you will work to, in the hearts of the people here of my friends, and that they will want the same thing, and that we can join arm in arm in committing to you. We don't want to compromise. Help us in our failures so that we can be bold, so that we can rely on your protection, so that it, we will not stop, we'll be unhindered in our persistence. I, I pray, Father, that we will choose to live by an uncommon standard and our faith will not be blemished. We'll be prepared for testing so we can see how you bless and how you influence through us. I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.